Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. episode 421 of The Sausage Factory. Welcome. In this episode, I chat to Ben Outram of Squiggle Studios about the design and development of their VR-based spatial puzzle game, Squingle. Regular listeners, and I do have some, <laughs> I say some, many, and I thank you very much for being and sticking around for me wibbling on about game design like I know what I'm talking about. Do people really do know what they're talking about? But puzzle games are feature heavily, and I say I because I'm the host and producer of this very show, in the Sausage Factory. Why? It's because they are the most purest game, the oldest sort of game. And the game we played as children uh, at the younger stage, they're the first games we encounter. If you think about it really hard, one of the earliest things we get engaged with in the terms of a game in a traditional sense would be a puzzle of some description. And then over the years, they've become more and more complex. And ultimately, sometimes these puzzles are interactive with other people or sometimes they're just on your own. And um, for video games especially, it's generally on your own, but that's not true because online games. Anyway, I'm just rambling as I like to do in his intros, just to get you going. But yeah, Squingle is a game I encountered at EGX 2022. Um, so, and I do go to these shows. I do talk about a lot. Again, it's another thing I do talk about in the show, because I go to these shows to recruit for this podcast. That's my principal reason, that and to play games and meet people and that kind of thing. But really it's to, you know, to meet developers and 
asked them on the show. Nine times out of ten, that's indeed, you know, indeed nine times nine times out of a hundred. Almost got that out, didn't I? I think so. Um, they do say yes, and it's lovely. And uh, Ben said yes, uh, enthusiastically. So, Scringle, this is a game on VR. Uh, it's actually on the MetaQuest 2 and MetaQuest Original 1, I believe. Um, it's a fascinating game. It really is just you moving these sort of glowing blobs through tubes. And it really just delves into the medium itself of VR. It could only work, really, on VR. So, um, uh, and that's not, you know, I'm not going to say it's a flat game itself. And I, I love, you know, flat games. It's fine. But um, no, yeah. This this is a real exemplar VR title. We delve into that as well as the other interesting history that Ben has with creating video games in various unorthodox mediums, shall we say. So, without further ado, let's listen to me from the relatively recent past talk to Ben about Scringle. Chris, take it away. Ben. Hello. Hello. Can you tell us uh, who you are and what do you do? Um, yeah, my name's Ben Utram. I'm the uh, creator and founder of um, Squingle and Squingle Studios. Um, yeah, I come from a physics background. Yes, um, we met at EGX, didn't we? We met at EGX yeah. 2022, everyone who's listened to this in the future. So uh, that was the thing that happened at the time of recording about a month ago or so. Wow, has it been that long? Yes, it has <laughs> been that long. And uh, they just announced the next year's, which is kind of the same time of year, which I'm surprised at. I thought they'd bring it forward a little bit, but no, they pushed it back back into October. But there it is. Well, we, you know, it's all in the 2023 land, assuming that exists. Oh, dark times. Anyway. <laughs> So you've answered the first question very well. There you go. Well done. Let's move on to the second one. <laughs> and then things start to ramp up in difficulty and nuance and complexity, like they all do with puzzle games, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you make your start making video games? Um, yeah, I, it's a good question. I think um, I guess I started with an interest in video games when I was like, you know, young. Yeah. Um, some of my favorite video games were sort of Nintendo games mainly, and I had a Mega Drive and Zelda and Mario Kart and playing Smash Brothers and Tony Hawk's on the Dreamcast and that kind of thing. Um, Res Infinite, or no, it was called Res back then, on the Dreamcast. In the Dreamcast, yeah. Uh, it was yeah. such a good game. It was like probably one of my favorite games of all time. So I really enjoyed that. And then. Um, yeah, I, I haven't done, I didn't, I never really set out to do video games or make video games, uh, did a degree in physics and then did a PhD in engineering and sort of liquid crystal display engineering, which is completely unrelated to liquid, to video games, <laughs> except you stare at a liquid crystal display when you play a video game, of course. And there's, there's a huge resurgence in liquid crystal science and engineering now that they're making you know, more complex displays for VR headsets and TV. So there is some relation there, but, but, um, but yeah, I didn't, I wasn't interested in making a video game, never thought it would be a legitimate thing to do. So, um, 
but yeah, I ended up going to to Japan after that and spending a year studying Japanese. And like during my PhD and during that time, I was doing a lot of like demo making sort of artistic demos, um, motion tracking and sound visualization, that kind of thing. And so when I went to Japan, I was like, well, I don't want to um, do physics anymore. I'm going to go and join a weird media lab that does like VR and eye tracking and motion tracking, that kind of thing. So I ended up um, working with KO Media Design in Tokyo for a couple of years. And that's where I came across VR. So VR was really my interest before working on games. I did quite a lot of stuff and prototypes and demos and things going to exhibitions and interacting with the games industry a little bit um and then yeah i sort of built a lot of prototypes out of that and then one of them just kind of stuck and i got furloughed and uh, long story short then squingle came out of it and then <laughs> and then i don't know i guess it never really meant to turn into a video game as a commercial thing as a actual product and a business but um, I think just as I realized, uh, as I was developing it and people were playing it, I was getting quite a lot of good reactions and people getting quite addicted to it. And so I thought, well, uh, that just encouraged me to do build it that next little bit. You know what I mean? And then eventually it was just released. <laughs> and, then, and then I got reeled in even further. And now it's sort of become a business and a company and trying to do business development and porting the game and marketing and all of those great things around the whole industry and aspect of it which is very new to me i'm not i wouldn't consider myself a industry person at all really so uh yeah that's long story no it's a great story we love love long stories (laughs) yeah yeah you know it's good uh sometimes guests come on and say well when i was six oh god yeah, I mean, I just thought I did see your eyes start to droop then a little bit during. No, 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 no. It's just, no I better move on quick. No, it's fine. It's. it's I was just you know, how I'm going to pitch the next question because it is, it is quite infamous, dif- infamously difficult. Um, but really, I, I just love the fact that you're coming from a completely different industry side of things, the science of you know one of the aspects of. Video games now rely on, and uh, here you are, sort of dealing like, with motion tracking and the fact you got interested in VR. Was VR sort of reappeared, didn't it? It went away in the uh, in the mid nineties because you realised that the technology wasn't there yet, <clears throat> and then it came back in the mid sort of twenty tens, give or take, sort of 2013, 2014 Was I think it was the earliest ones? I think when people started to like the Oculus was kickstarted, wasn't it? And then it sort of Started from there, I seem to remember the infamous, I think it's that word infamous again, I think we're using it today, uh, but that very interesting incident during uh, at uh, PAX, PAX uh, Prime, as it was known then, or was it West, where it was um, the pink eye incident, where <laughs> basically... Pink eye? Pink eye was basically people got infected eyes because from people... VR. From VR because people weren't properly cleaning them between each session, uh, so you'd have, yeah, yeah, people with, yeah, just to, that is, that, I mean, yeah. the word infamous should be used, I think, yeah, for that. that was pretty bad. And ever since, for a long time, when that occurred, because I refused to do it, I went, Well, I'm not having pink eye, oh no. So, whenever there's a VR station <laughs> at, at an event, I wouldn't touch it because I was there, I saw it happen, I saw everyone sort of 
I say a lot of people like these bulging purple eyes. It was horrible. And mm-hmm. um, so uh, it took a long time for me and the industry to catch up and go, maybe we should really swab these before we give them to people. Maybe that's a good idea. So, you know, and of course the pandemic helped things even more with that. So, yeah, I mean, I got VR with the PSVR because I waited so long and stuff, but it was fine. And I haven't looked back since, and I've got a, 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 a Quest 2 now and uh, a remarkable device, which is what Squinkle's out on, which we're going to be talking about later on in the show. But before we do that, I have to ask you this question. I'm going to fascinate and you can answer this one. This is great. What are your biggest influences, Ben, as a creator? What is the thing that you find that you're drawn to most? Apart from rest. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I mean, and, and also drawing upon what you were just saying about, you know, the history of like VR over the last few decades. And I really think that I was thinking about this recently because, um, you know, every so often I'll do a search online for like the most trippy, psychedelic, experimental VR stuff that some coder who just does it on the side as just for fun does, you know. And, and what I realized is that like, the heyday of for me of VR and um, in terms of influences and the, the things that I hark back to and really got me going were the 2010s. And it's weird talking about like the 2010s as a decade in the past. <laughs> but, don't do it. Don't do it. Just, just, you know, just don't, accept it. Don't do it. Don't no, do 1990s was not 20 years ago. No, way longer. <laughs> Keep going. Keep going. But yeah, I mean, you know, the 2010s, they had like, so many so much experimentation you had the dk2 coming out every nerd on the planet was trying to get their hands on one and then just doing trippy stuff and no one knew you know what you couldn't everyone ignored all of the actual vr research that people did in the 90s and the oos on simulator sickness and just threw that all the, out the window just played around creating like sound visualizers and different ways of locomotion and trying to do all these really trippy weird stuff and with sign distance functions and there was a guy called kabibo who was really active doing really amazing stuff like my little donut and weird stuff with um with shaders and everything and like that was a huge influence for me. And and like recently, I've been looking on the on the internet as like, oh, I wonder what people have been making recently. You know, maybe I've just not looked in the right places. But there's this um, there's there's a Reddit channel called Rift into the Mind. It's like a subreddit, and it basically chronicles the interface between like psychedelics and VR and all these. It has a sort of long mega list of trippy VR experiences. But most of them are from, you know, the 2010s. There's hardly any, like, Squingle, um, which is, you know, my game has been added to the list more recently. But, like, most of the stuff is from the 2010s. I don't know where it's all gone. I think that the commercialization of VR has kind of killed the, the experimental little indie scene. Or maybe someone can point me to the right direction where all that stuff is existing now. I'm well, actually looking at SideQuest yeah, recently. Um, maybe it's all on SideQuest and stuff. Maybe you should um, play some Jeff Minter games. I'm just saying. Yeah, well, no, I've played all his games. There you go. They're, they're great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank you. I was wondering, like, yeah, yeah. Sure Ben knows who Jeff is. Who died? Good God. How an insulting thing to think. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, Kane and Rince, we celebrated his 60th by having a special episode about Jeff Minter's work. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he's been doing this for actual decades. Four decades, I think, now. Because yeah, he started in the early 80s. And he's... Still- Still lives in his place in Wales with sheep outside. Sheep and llamas. And llamas, which are yeah. obviously a big... He draws on the 
things yeah. around him, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Inspiration. It's the most important thing. <laughs> yeah, well, a fantastic answer, though, I've got to say. I tried so... to get in touch with him, actually, because I, okay. I did want to send him a copy of Squingle. Right. I couldn't figure out. He has a very it's – a, it's a website that looks like it was made in the 90s. I don't know if it's still up there. No. But I mean, what, I mean like, he's if on – you've got a question about our software, like – basically don't don't bother because we don't want to do tech support for our games <laughs> it's very strange just uh, i know he's very very active on on the twitters so that might work all right i'll, I'll have another yeah. look have the delve on it because he talks every day he will take photos of himself um with these animals but every now like the other day early today he did as a time of recording he took a photo of a book with assembly code on it for the 6800 chip microchip. And he said, I didn't have a 6800. I could never get one anyway, but I just wanted to learn how to program with it. So when I got a 6502, I'd know how to do that as well. And then he started talking about how assembly language is the same for all computers. Regardless of the microchip, you just had to change the registers and et cetera. And therefore the, the output would be the same which is the beauty of assembly because you are just changing the switches. That's what you're doing. You're, you're it's pretty going, fundamental. He yeah. gets really into that fundamental low, stuff. Low, you couldn't go any lower than that. It's actually changing the registers because <laughs> that's mm. what it is. And it's something we spoke about on the show before, apologies everyone, but uh, it's a fascinating topic, early 80s. That's how they made video games up right up to... Well, I would say, well, let me get a look at here. Maybe the mid '90s, when some PlayStation had libraries and things like that, where they could then use C plus plus to make games and stuff like that. But before then, it was all pretty much assembly, which is quite amazing. Um, but um, uh, that's and he's so he he does share things like that occasionally, but most of the time it's about his sheep and curry. He does like his curry. Or his DMs open. That's the main thing. I don't know. We could just all do an act. We could do <laughs> an act to him, and then yeah, that, that might work. And we'll get a dollar I'll going. get him somehow. I tried to get him on the show, but he's, it doesn't, he's a bit reticent. Uh, so I would, maybe... I was, I've been stalking someone else recently online because, um, <clears throat> so maybe that's a, the wrong word because that you know it's <laughs> yes. a serious thing. That. Yeah, but um, but yeah, no, like I found this. Talking about these trippy games from the twenty tens, I found this one called Intrasend right. by a guy called I think his name's John or Ben. I can't remember name now. Anyway, uh, he didn't seem to have much of an online presence at all. But it's a really cool game that you use. You use a joystick, and it's a bit like Super Hexagon on mobile. If you know that game, oh, oh yes, yes, everyone knows that game. Yeah, yeah. But it's like a VR three D version of that. So you kind of like. And the the center of the rotation is in front of you, so like the whole world's rotating, and you're going trying not to collide into this like in, infinitely emanating sort of geodesic shapes, I guess. And it's just a really cool concept, and it's very unique, very interesting, strange locomotion. So I got I, like I stalked this guy to try and find. There was no message, email. So I like found him on LinkedIn, did a Google image search with his face. <laughs> to find his like YouTube because wow. he's got a very a very ungoogleable name as well. So right. anyway, I found him on Twitter eventually, and then got in touch with him. And so he he sent me the project file, which is like from a Unity five point five or something. So it's very outdated, but he's given me license to like update it and modernize it. I'd like to like 
you know, update it and make it go oh, on Quest. Fantastic. That's my, that's why I'm excited. I was telling you before the show about that. So that you're making an upgrade <laughs> to Super Hexagon, which is great. And I've seen Super Hexagon and played the D-Make. So it's like the downgrade. We're now, in other words, they made that for the Commodore 64. Yes, you can play Super Hexagon on the Commodore 64. It's a bit slower. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, they did pull it off. In fact, so slow that he can actually do reasonably well at it. Whereas the original one, it's just like it's, really, it's, it's just like triangle. Oh my god, I made it to triangle. I've got you know get past the like fourth bar of the tune. <laughs> it's, just, it's a cracking yeah. tune though. But uh, no, good stuff. Right. Next question. I think I know the answer to. Or maybe I don't. Oh, I think I know the answer to this one because we talked, we spoke about it at EGX. But we shall, we shall see. We shall see. What video game developer do you admire most, and why? Um, I think it's going to have to be um, Tetsuya Mizuguchi. Mm. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Like, I mean, the thing is, is I, I feel kind of embarrassed saying that because you know, I, I, I did some work. I've met him a few times. Right. Right in Tokyo, and I was working with his team, working on some um, back when the PlayStation VR was just came out, and then they were doing Res Infinite, and they had this full body haptic vibration suit. Yeah, and so I, I was I was asked to do some content for the that would go with the suit, and then we we also used the opportunity to explore how haptics and body haptics can be used in a in a in a VR experience, like whether it's sort of as a sensory substitution thing, or as a metaphor for touch, or as a symbolic thing. Anyway, that's a bit of a digression. But the Tetsu Mizuguchi was kind of involved there. But I didn't know he was at the institution that I was applying for the postdoc there. It was just sort of by happy coincidence. And obviously, I told you Res and all that that those games were quite influential, and you can probably see some of that influence in Squingle as yeah. it's quite a trippy VR game. But I've also just been fascinated by Tetsu Mizuguchi on his journey and like in terms of how he sort of bootstrapped his way into the um, into success in, in the video games industry. And obviously it was very different back in the 90s and, and early and late 80s, I guess, when it was he was working for Sega and did Sega Rally and stuff like that. And just some of the stories, it's just very interesting how he convinced people to do things and um and then his kind of just attitude towards what a game can be and what what part like synesthesia and how you know how the music and the sound all comes together to create this sort of flow and communion and a bit like being in a dance club or something you know getting into that zone you know and replicating that feeling in a vr experience it's been extremely influential so and also for all the way from when i was like 14 first buying res and and i seem to be the only one all my friends didn't seem to like the game very much i liked it a lot and played it constantly for ages so yeah that's uh that would be my answer to that one excellent answer um i do have a copy of res on my dreamcast which is still going uh it was my original uh, one I, I bought when it was launched over in the uk it's still going Amazing. Probably needs Do you still play the Dreamcast sometimes? Yeah, yeah. It's got it hooked up just behind me. It's just there. I see you've uh, got this, uh, like, yeah. CRT monitor. Yeah, that's, that's that's for my mister, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, no, no, it's, it, the, it's great for refresh rates and stuff. 
Um, but uh, and I can see the GameCube and the Dreamcast controller. Yeah, isn't yeah, it? yeah. Dreamcast wow. controller is resting on the Dreamcast. There's also a PlayStation 2 right next to it. Um, but this is great for podcasts, everyone. But uh, yeah, Ben's looking at my office here. But I have this sort of like, I have this demo. You can't st- see it. No, 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 listeners can't see it. But it's basically a big, I call it the ultimate demo station where you've got one screen and it's got connected to it 10 different consoles. It's amazing. Uh, I built it many, many moons ago, about a year ago now. And uh, uh, it's, it's great. It's got an Xbox on it, PlayStation 2 on it, Dreamcast. GameCube and all the mini consoles that came out about five years ago. It's all it's all there. So it's great. It's like countless hours of entertainment for one screen. That was my my dream. And it's born fruit. It's great. So um but no, Res is definitely one of those. I also have Res on the PlayStation 2, which is quite a rare copy, I understand, but they did release it on the mm. PlayStation 2 as well. But uh but my one of my favorite one of the first games we played on PSVR was um Res Infinite. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's. I was very, very excited because I thought it was the perfect game to introduce one to VR. But it turns out I found, I discovered very quickly that I have very, very strong VR legs. In that I don't feel nauseous playing mm. VR games. Well, wow, I can play Wipeout the on PSVR without mm. any of the. So like, yeah, I'm fine. It's just not a problem. No nausea. I don't know. I'm very, 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 very fortunate. I'm, um, I think I'm in minority. Don't know why, but I just don't feel nauseous playing them. So that's why I love VR so much because I just love, you know, being drawn into another world so much that you can actually can't see anything else. So it's wonderful. So last question of the first half. You ready? Mm-hmm. This is uh, a question we have to ask because we're doing a podcast about video games. So I have to ask you, Ben, what are you playing right now? Um, <laughs> I hate this question. You know why? It's because I don't really actually play Doesn't very matter. many games. That's all right. <laughs> I always feel like I ought to be a real massive game fan and play loads of games. But um, what am I playing right now? Hmm. I mean, you could say threes and be done with it. <laughs> <laughs> well uh the last game i played was synth riders which is a vr game right and the reason i played that is because i have a um these the the people at b haptics i don't know if you know what b haptics is but it's no, this, no it's a it's a haptic vibration suit right that's getting quite popular and um it kind of goes with vr but you can also use it to watch movies and and different things but um more and more games are um are integrating the haptics into it. Anyway, I, they basically, for the sake of me receiving free a free suit and free armbands and free facial interface with all the haptics, which I think is worth like a thousand pounds or something, um, then I agreed to integrate uh, B haptics into Squingle. Um, and but I wanted to test out the B haptics server. So, Synth Riders is one of those games that integrates B haptics. So that's okay. why. So what is it? What is the game? Synth Riders. Yeah, Synth Riders. Yeah, fair enough. It's it's it came out. I think you know after Beat Saber or before Beat Saber. I have no idea. Probably probably after Beat Saber. It's a music game in VR, a bit like Beat Saber, but instead of having swords, lightsabers. Sorry, you have you just you just have to like touch the balls things that are coming at you. Whatever. Okay. So it's a bit simpler interaction. But it's yeah. way it's got way more songs and you know quite a lot more 
different things. It's it's got a different feel to it than Beat Saber, but I quite enjoy it. Yeah, Beat Saber didn't they do a terribly good job of explaining how to play the game at all, in my humble opinion. You have to really figure it out. And that's, once you do, it's a real mm. it's a real uh, eye-opener, but it's definitely a case of you do realise that not only do you have to accurately hit these these blocks, but you also have to hit them with a certain amount of vo- uh, like velocity. You have to hit them hard, and you know your the, the speed at which the blade cuts the blocks also matters. Like, could you tell us that a little? No, nope. I didn't even know. Yeah, that. yeah. The speed matters. Yeah, yeah. Do you get more points if you yeah, cut yeah, it yeah. hard? If you're really doing it really right. fast, you really do it. Yeah. Okay. Which means the the point being is that if you're doing this really hard, your accuracy is reduced. And you also your ability to flip back to hit something else is also reduced. So it's harder to do. It's just, <laughs> it's just it's, basically it was mean. It's just mean. But I still it's still one of my favourites. And it it deserves the, the, but um, no, the, um, was it? What's it called? The beat one you were talking about? Was it called Synth Riders? Synth Riders. Riders. Yeah. Yeah. If you um, haven't got def- it, you should definitely go and check oh, it out. Oh, definitely go and have a go. Nice definitely. Music. If you like music games. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I still, yeah. I do, I do remember playing some. Um, was it? Oh God, what was the? It wasn't the fant- No, the one. The one that That's came out. Games, yeah. um, it was like a PS2 game, but. Not Beat Mania, because that wasn't one I'd liked on the PS1. Guitar Hero, Dance Dance Revolution? No, 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 not that one. This was is it the, the drums? One... Did it have drums? Oh, um, audio something. Uh, audio okay. Surf? Might be that. I know Audio Surf on, the, on Steam, remember that? One of the oh, earliest yeah. ones, but that, that was great. But, um, yeah, it'll come to me. I do know the people who did Guitar Hero did it too. It's one of their game prior to it. I just can't remember its name now. Really, I'm just going to... They're going to pop out halfway through the next next half. Speaking of the next half of the show, should we, should we do this, Ben? Should we, go into, should we go into part two and delve deep into Swingle? Should we do that? Should we go into part three? Two of the part, show. No, part two. Yeah. <laughs> let's <do it. laughs> okay, so, let's do it. Part two. Right, part two.
But before we delve deep into Squingle, we need to know, in your own words, N, what is Squingle? Um, yeah, Squingle is... <laughs> <laughs> Squingle is a psychedelic VR puzzle game in which you have to guide revolving orbs through a series of increasingly complex intestinal cosmic iridescent mazes, all while, um, yeah, that's basically it. And then there's a storyline um, in which you're sort of solving the physics and topological problems involved in creating and sustaining the universe through this kind of story of transcendence. And there's this mystical guru, goddess, psychedelic DMT elf woman character who kind of guides you through the story and tells you what you're doing, although she's quite um, silly and a bit paradoxical at times. And their spouse is sort of like pseudo-Zen philosophy as you go. So yeah. that's kind of the game. That's the game. There it is. There you go. Better job myself. Well, I could already go. But... I've practiced that. I've had to explain it to quite a few people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the the uh, the elevator pitch, I believe, as they call it. But um, no, it's a, it's a very good job. Um, um, I think the uh, some of the words they're rarely used in the show. Very appreciative. Um, but um, <laughs> uh, so describing um, what you yeah, there's, there's there's some words about how it's semi-translucent. Well, it is translucent, really. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the levels are kind of, well, if you're using just the VR mode, and yeah. recently we just implemented this new pass-through AR mixed reality kind of mode, which is really yeah. exciting. But if you're using the virtual reality mode, then, yeah, the, the squingles are kind of like, they're, well, they're always translucent, but they also refract the background. So they look like glass mm. and they're iridescent. So they've got, stereoscopic iridescence as well so if you know you know things like beetles and butterflies yeah and how beautiful those things are but like and how they sort of shimmer in this almost ethereal sort of way, like way that doesn't make sense doesn't seem natural mm. and that same the physics of that have been implemented into the shaders of squingle so that everything everything literally everything including all the ui and environments and stuff are iridescent and so you, you see different colours and different eyes and you get that shimmery, ethereal feel yeah. about it. Yeah. That's the word, iridescent. Lovely word. Um, not, not, yeah. not, not, not used nearly enough in video games, so thank you for that. So my first design question, this is something that struck me ever since I first played it at EGX. Uh, it was a very impactful experience, so I'll never forget it. I'm not saying it because you're here. I Generally, it was a bit of a highlight for me because I thought, that was uh, so unusual and so at, and, uh, as, as, uh, at odds with everything else that was there, not to denigrate in any way what else was there. In fact, there's some fantastic stuff there, but it just uh, it stuck with me for quite some time. Um, it's just how you interact with the, the puzzle, the tubes thing. It's the freedom, unlike in more flat plane video games who are played on a, a flat plane, you can basically manipulate the puzzle and rotate it around and look at it. I mean, yes, granted you could do that in the flat on the 2D plane, but being able to walk around it and look underneath it and then move it and manipulate it and change that. Uh, it's just really uh, because you're in a VR environment. I'm just going to ask, this must have impacted the design of the levels 
has to. In, in many cases, you have to manipulate it in order to be successful into completing it. And actually getting the glowing ball or balls, it says delicately, because you do get more than one. You have to they start rotating around and rotate really. Um, how have you found the fact that the player has so much agency with interacting with the model when you're, you know, designing um, the, the, the the levels, really. I mean, how have you found that? Is it enhanced it, made it easier, or made it harder? Do you think it impacts it at all? I, I believe it would. What do you think? I think that um, it's interesting you bring it up because, um, I mean, often people want you know, more agency. People say, People say, oh, why didn't you let me, you know, you can rotate, you can grab. So in Squingle, you've got these puzzles, you can grab them and move them around in space, right? And you, that's what you sort of described. And you can move them forward, backward, left, right. You can rotate them, but you can only rotate them around like the vertical axis, yes. right? You can't Absolutely. rotate them. You can't tip them. No, no, no. Like that. You know, and so, and so some people could say, and then also you can't scale by pulling your arms nope. in and out like, a, nope. like you can on Google Maps. So it's like... So, well, it's a physical object. That's how I treat it. It's an object in front of you. Yeah. So you can't scale an object when you're in front of you. You are, you are with the object. You can walk around it and stuff, which I love yeah, doing yeah. that. Just, but when it comes to no, I mean, I, I do like the fact that it's on a rod. It's not there. You can't see the rod, but it, there is one there, and I'm just like, I'm okay with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, what I find is that you know you need to be. You can't give too much degrees of freedom agency no. to the user because otherwise they'll flip around the maze into a way that's just really awkward and you know not know where they are again so um you need to kind of limit it a little bit but but i think the amount of freedom they've got now like every maze is designed so that basically you you don't really have to turn it around backwards to be able to solve the puzzle there's no puzzle that you have to turn it around backwards in order to solve like there are some bits which are a bit hidden you might have to look around a little bit but but more or less it's not really designed as a figure out what angle the puzzle's meant to be before you solve it kind of puzzle just because i don't think that's a very interesting mechanic for a puzzle um so all the all the levels even though it's 3d and you can rotate it they can be solved from the front really so so yeah sometimes people turn them around get them all back to front and then they find it's more, more difficult then and then you're like well you shouldn't have turned it around <laughs> maybe you shouldn't have manipulated just because you can doesn't mean you should That's in right. fact yeah, yeah. i've found many a time when the best thing to do is not to move it at all maybe to shift yourself or drop yourself down mm. a little bit yeah just uh, have a little look around the look edge around i'm way i just love the it feels like you're in a museum or like the science museum is when i was way a young child and one of my favorite things is to do is to mess around with the various devices that were teaching you electromagnetics and things like that i mean most a lot you know, i say most a lot of children have experienced that in some kind of museum that's dealing with physics or maths or mm. something and they're trying to teach you rather base concepts of certain things by you manipulating and interacting with things so I regressed a little bit in that and like felt like that sometimes I was that's the kind that's how I would like deal with a puzzle wall. Or indeed when I was building Lego, you know, and I was like, what am I supposed to do here? Oh hang on. I'll put that. And you just rotate it and go put it there. That that works. That that fits. 
And you know, um, there's a bit of I that want, going on. I once had um, I once had this. Like, I don't know if you know about lucid dreaming as a concept. Yes. yes. Yeah, it's quite a gained quite a lot of popularity. But yeah, I first came across the concept in a film called Waking Life by Linklater. I don't know if you know that one. But um, same director that did a Scanner Darkly. That's a bit more famous. Um, anyway, so I, I did this. Like, I had this lucid dream where I, like, sort of did various different things happened, and I turned it into a bit of a story. You can read on my website, but I won't go into it. But but there's but I ended up in this cosmic space, almost like precipitated across the entire cosmos, in a in a in a museum. Right? It was like a the museum of all knowledge right. or something like that. I, I don't know, like some weird museum. And then but the pieces I was looking at and they were, they were a bit like these squingles in some way. And, um, and I looked at these museum pieces and I, I saw that it had like, you know, the meaning of all existence in this, in the right in front of me. And there were lots of these in this museum. And I looked at it, I was like, I just need to put this into my memory so I can, when I wake up, I'll remember this. But then I had the realization, looking at this thing, that you can't put into memory what can't be conceptualized. And the meaning of life is beyond conceptualization. And yeah. therefore, I can only, I can witness it and experience awe and just enjoy it in that moment. But there's no way I can bring it with me no. into my memory. And I, it was sort of like that, re that experience and realization whether it's a confabulation or not, just the concept of that just blew my mind. And the, I remember the sort of visual quality of this thing slightly, although it was much more than just a visual thing in this museum. And um, I think some of that aspect is emulated in these squingles. Yeah. And that, that, that storyline as well is sort of emulated in these squingles because obviously it's about transcendence and the meaning of life and solving the universal fundamental laws of existence and things like that. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's a bit, bit, bit related to that. So I, I resonate with your, your, um, museum comment is all I'm saying. That's fine. It's great. We love yeah. that. Resonance is a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, unless it's a, anyway, <laughs> this is the thing you don't want to resonate. Um, so, so I'm a day job spilling in there. Um, so, uh, the squingle next question. Here we go. Being relatively abstract, that's not true. It is abstract. Let's come get to the point. It is an abstract model of something, representation, sorry, of something. Uh, and the means by which you communicate concepts to the player, fundamental concepts to the player of how to play and how to overcome aspects of uh, each puzzle it has to be within the confines of the game itself or more to the point, the confines of how it's presented to them. For if you drift too far from that, it becomes jarring and your sense of uh, disbelief uh, starts to fade, which you don't want. So what have you done to make sure that the player is suitably informed fairly without, you know, breaking the fourth wall, so to speak? Fine and onboarding and, like, tutorializing and things like that I guess. yeah 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 i mean that's definitely something i've thought strongly about this game and the mechanics not just in the game but also in the ui because it uses a slightly unusual vr ui mm. interaction which most people would say oh you want to steer clear of that just use something that everyone knows because like you don't want people to get stuck on the ui kind of thing no um 
So yeah, like in Squingle, the UI is quite squidgy and it's 3D. So you have to you touch things and then touch them, trigger them when you touch them. And they're all very squidgy and kind of cool and fiddly. It's a bit more like the Cubism. So if you know Cubism, which is another puzzle game, which I adore in VR. It's like one of my favorite. In fact, I think Cubism they is were, a similar yeah. scope. They were there, weren't they? I think. Game. Yeah, yeah. So, no, no, that was Color oh, Connect. Was Color Connect, apologies, yes. Color Connect is also a great VR yeah. 3D spatial puzzle game, so people should definitely check that one out as well. So go. Cubism and Color Connect, some of my favourite other This is an expensive ones. show, everyone, if you've got a VR set. <laughs> it's going to be, it's going to cost Co- you Color a bit. Connect, I think, yeah, it's pretty cheap. In fact, they were yeah, giving yeah. it away for free for a while. I don't know if it's yeah. still free. Anyway, yeah. so... Um, so yeah, like I was very concerned about that because mm. like obviously, and sometimes people get into the levels and then they get stuck on a bit and I watched them streaming it or whatever. I'm like, oh, you just have to go to that blue thing, which changes your rotation direction and then you can pass through it. Right. And for most people, they get that intuitively or they, they've already come across the blue thing or whatever, but then sometimes people just didn't realize it and missed it or, you know, and that's the thing, like whenever you see people play games, they often, they're always getting stuck on on stupid stuff that they shouldn't oh, be yeah. getting stuck on and, yeah. and it's not really the game the gamer's fault it's that there aren't enough there isn't enough anticipation by the developer that, that people could possibly get stuck on something because for them it's the developer obviously it's everything's intuitive because you designed it you know exactly what they're doing and but yeah so uh, squingle does take a sort of hands-off approach when it comes to tutorialization and tries to allow people to discover things for themselves and it's quite an intuitive game just because you know the first instruction is just grab me and you just grab the orb and and then you're like what do i do with it and it's quite obvious you have to guide it through the thing and there's the goal and you guide it to the goal and so you know the things are introduced quite slowly i guess and, and people it is quite intuitive it doesn't require too much tutorialization mm like maybe the locomotion interaction requires a bit and that's why the goddess kind of tells you how to do that yeah. at the beginning yeah and at egx when i was demoing it to people that i would explain that interaction to them as i put the headset on them because mm. um, i didn't want them to go through the tutorial because i didn't want them to to that just takes time and it takes too long when people want into the yeah. game when it's in a demo right so yeah but yeah more or less you give them that tiny interaction instruction and then and then they're off people who just get in there for 45 minutes no questions asked kind of thing nice. so it definitely definitely uh yeah it's quite intuitive squingle at least and so but um the only way to get that right was to do beta tests and watch people playing so had a lot of I had a beta program when I first made the game of about 120 people, of which about 20 people gave really detailed feedback. And then I also watched like a dozen or two people play the game and just, you know, noticed what they did, didn't say anything and just watched where they get stuck or like when they ask questions. And that's really important. Yeah, I would say. Mm -hmm. And it does a very good job because it does ease you in, but I just felt that it could be it could have gone so horribly wrong and tutorials and in teaching something that you've been embedded in your brain for X amount of years, months, I don't know how long, is difficult because you difficult to step back away and go, Well, if I didn't know any of this stuff, how would I approach this? It's not impossible to do, I say impossible, very, very difficult to do because human beings being where they are, when they become entrenched in something 
it's very difficult for them to take a step back and look at something objectively. How the best example of that I can think of when people write manuals about something that's quite complex and they can they realize when they're writing this thing, hopefully they realize many don't, that they've written something only for them. It's just useless. It's a manual written for the author. Well then it's just useless. Yes. But people still do it because it's very difficult to write things from an objective way, from something you've been so involved with to describe something objectively. And you've, you've obviously um, nailed this by actually saying, I need to step away from this to put this in other people's hands and to see what they do and then describe it from their perspective and exercise one of the most powerful things we have as, as, as sentient primates, empathy. And we do that and go, oh, okay, now I understand that this thing I didn't really appreciate was important. Turns out, that they, you know, this concept I thought was obvious isn't. It's yeah, because you got, I mean, yeah. there's such a big variation in the population as well. You've got like a massive normal distribution. And as soon as you start demoing things at, at festivals and you realize how wide that distribution is. Yeah. And, um, you know, different people walk to life, different ability, native abilities. And you have to kind of accommodate, obviously, not necessarily everyone, because that would be impossible but no so you have to, you have to accommodate like as wide a range as possible so Indeed. we've really tried to do that and actually since squingle came out we've also added additional features to make it more accessible to a wider audience as well so like easy play mode which makes it i kind of did the grandma test nothing wrong with grandmas i'm sure some no. grandmas are really good at vr but in my case my mother who is also now a grandma yeah um she's never played games in her life so when I gave her Squingle, she played it for like 30 seconds and said, that's nice, dear, and put it down. <laughs> right. But then I put, did the easy mode, gave it to her, and she was there 25 minutes later, still quite addicted to the game. So, there you know, you I knew yeah. I was getting somewhere with hey. that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Next question, then. What's yeah. about the reliance on haptic feedback in Squingle? It's brilliant. Very subtle. Live it. It's clearly knows someone done by someone who knows what they're doing. With haptic feedback bin but i want to ask how have you found making sure that that is informative rather than some kind of gimmick because i found it to be intensely informative to tell me yes you're about to fail here could you or you know there's, there's a friction uh please don't you know if you if you carry on this far you're going to fail just be careful how have you found making sure that the subtlety is there rather than it becoming just a constant hum on your in your hands? Mm -hmm. what, what, how have you found that? Yeah. I mean, haptics has been something I've focused on quite heavily for a long time in a lot of mm. projects. So as I mentioned, the haptic suit with the Tetsumi Zaguchi and Enhanced Games collaboration with uh, Crystal Vibes, it's called, in fact. And we sort of experimented with how haptics can be used what's most compelling i even wrote a paper on it so we were testing different parts of the experience and like which people what people found the most compelling so as a sort of do you want the thump of the music to come through or do you want it to like when you get touched to feel the haptics or maybe a symbolic thing like if you shoot an enemy or you succeed or you get a text message it's like a symbolic vibration that represents an event that's happened so you know all of those kind of things are very interesting and um, for me, the most compelling use of uh, haptics is um, as a metaphor for touch in VR. So, like, obviously, haptics can't give you that force feedback, 
but you can simulate um, a force with a with a vibration, and so that's kind of what happens in in Squingle. Now, the um, there was another prototype that I made, which was a juggling game, where you actually have to juggle VR balls. And what I found is like I'm quite a good juggler; it's a bit of a hobby of mine. But when you juggle VR balls, it's a bit like you know juggling with oven mitts or something. You can't really feel the balls. There's no feedback. There's, there's no, no weight. weight. There's no weight. There's no all. weight. So how exactly? Yeah. How on earth do you do you do that? So what you can do is you do sensory substitution. So you can, I did a thing where you I had like procedural sound whose tone and volume related to the amount of force on of the ball on your simulated on your hand, for example. And then the vibration also, the amplitude was related to the the force on your hand. And so you could get quite far with that because you you, you learn to hear how hard you're touching, putting force onto the ball. Now in Squingle, I don't use that, but um, that with Squingle you have like this, this, this sort of the levels of these squidgy things, right? So as you the ball goes up to the the skin of the these bubble like iridescent mazes, the the edge of the the puzzle actually bulges out a bit like a, a balloon membrane might, you know. And so um, as you and it applies a pressure back on you as well. So yeah, yeah. You, you kind of you, it's a springy thing. So you have mm. to, and it's only when you get to a big enough force that you like take damage and the ball jumps back and you you get this sort of reaction and the whole squingle bubbles out to show that you've been damaged. And um, but the the combination of the vibration and then this visual element the squidginess and the sort of you know it's there's a force because it starts to dislocate from where your actual hand tracking is so it gives yeah, you this yeah. uneasy feeling and that really helps to create this um sense of of um uh of a directional force even though there isn't one your brain kind of fills it in a bit with this sensory substitution and all yeah. of these different things that are that are signals to your brain and to your body that that your the ball is about to you know it's being resisted by this edge and it's about to cause a problem um and then there's also the other visual cue i don't know if you noticed that if you're really about to receive damage you get a little arrow pointing like where you're where it's about to hit and get damaged so so there's a lot of visual cues and i think all of that combined and that came from a lot of testing really on on users to make the game easier give a lot more feedback on on what's going on but it's just the, the the subtlety of it, and the, you know, it's uh, less is more. It's a great example of that. It really is. Is you could have gone all out and made it like quite violent, or indeed, you know, maybe you did initially, maybe you did crank it. I don't know. The original um, one had yeah blood and no, 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 no. I'm thinking zombies. about more. more no, <laughs> no, good God, I was thinking more about the the, the, the feedback on on and the, the haptics could have been more oh, aggressive. Uh, but, mm. Yeah, uh, but you you seem to have uh, you could have make it you got kicked in way earlier, like just before. Uh, maybe you did. I don't know. But uh, the timing of it just seems to be just right. Really, it's just a um, it, it, it's a very um, uh, intelligent way of using it. So my last question, and we've been sort of dancing around this issue. Issue point, and we've spoken about it earlier and, and frequently in this discussion about. Um, the visual aspects of Squingle and the styling. Now, 
I'm quite old, and I remember games from the early 2000s, maybe late 90s, but it, but it reminds me a lot of that because for some reason, I don't know why, but there was this obsession with this pebbles and spheres and rendered spheres with with like shading on top of it, like a, a light source shining on it to say that because it was like these early computer renders and it just all looked like something from a Yes cover album. Um, but, sorry, kids ask your grandparents. But <laughs> it's just, I just found that Squingle reminds me a lot of that. It reminds you of an extremely elaborate puzzle you found in, in Mist. You know, that kind of thing. That kind of early 90s PC adventure game where you just have strange alien devices that all pretty much look like pebbles. Um, I've just got to ask, why? Why did you go with this motif? It's fantastic to see again. I mean, it's it's a modern in, interpretation of it, but it just, it just reminded me of uh, that kind of era of video games where they all had spheres in them. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that, like, for me, um, I think what the thing that really sort of defines my artistic style, um, and if you look on my website, you know, this is probably applies to pretty much everything that I've done, um, from the liquid crystal photography to the, um, like, paint and ink. It's not very good, but... <laughs> Excuse me. Um like paintings and ink paintings and things. And I think that um, there's a definitely like Ben style, I guess. Right. Uh, and it's maybe what attracted me to liquid crystals because of their, they have a very similar visual style and that photography, it sort of goes down that line. Um, and I like trippy stuff in general. Like I like psychedelics. I like the sort of psychedelia. I like psytrance festivals. I like, um, and I also like mystical stuff like Buddhism and meditation and sort of philosophy and physics as well. And and a lot of things in, in data in physics is very trippy looking. Um, and a lot of that has culminated and come together in Squingle as a sort of concept. It's quite a sort of self-actualizing, very sort of self-centered, really. It's just like it's not really the artistic des design of it and the themes in it aren't really designed for other people. They're designed because those are the things I like and that I'm interested in. And I think that partly that's maybe Squingle strength, because I think a lot of software is just, to, they basically get a committee, do some market research and then figure out, okay, you know, zombie shooting games are doing really well right now. Let's make a zombie shooting game. And whereas I kind of just went and did it based on my particular strengths, which is, you know, I can't really do world building. I can't do character design animation. I can't do 3D modeling. So, okay, can I make a game? Well, and that's what you, Squingle is basically what you've got when you, you can't do any of those things. It's all based on physics and equations and sine distance functions and mathematics and shaders and and all the backdrops of photographs of liquid crystals or and the, the particles floating around are all electron orbitals and spherical harmonics. And the backdrops are often NASA photography from the Hubble Space Telescope, which is free to use for commercial purposes, which I, I found was wonderful because it's such a rich source of 
of data and the backdrop yeah. in the first few levels is these the microwave background radiation for example which is the, the first photons that got emitted in the early universe after it became transparent to light um mm. when it became low enough density and, yeah. and we, we study that you know to understand the early universe so you know that's that's where it all comes from in a short sentence yes when the universe changed state for reasons best known to itself but <laughs> oh, we know quite well actually why yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm i'm joking of course but it I, it did change state this is how i understand it uh so, yeah energy's always been there anyway <laughs> um so yeah fantastic answer and uh it's one i kind of predicted but the fact that you were basically painting with physics that's basically how i saw it uh, and representing of what's found because what the what the universe has produced over f the last 14 and a half billion years since it's been in this state has been quite magnificent and also terrifying at the same time so for you to represent that in squingle is quite special so thank you um so squingle is developed by squingle studios and uh, what's it available on, Ben? Uh, it's currently on the on the Quest. Mm -hmm. Currently so, by App Lab. But, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, uh, it's, it's good. also on Steam. It's yeah. also on Steam. There you go, Steam VR. So I'm, uh, I'm also porting it currently to uh, four or five other devices. So okay. two of which are finished. And then there's about three or four I'm in talks with. So yeah. Well, the PSVR 2 is imminent. Um, so Indeed. I'm not saying that that's what you've done it for because it's been very sort of cagey, but maybe, everyone, I'm not going to say it's true or not, and nor is Ben because he can't talk about it probably because he's riddled with NDAs. But, um, I mean, that's coming out early next year. I'm very excited for it because, quite frankly, the current one is using technology from over 15 years ago and it's kind of annoying. <laughs> I mean, quite frankly, using PSVR... My preparation for it, and I've told people about this, is you have to do two things. First of all, the camera has to be up high and look down on you. So that's quite important. It has to be up high on the wall and looking down. And then the other thing is you have to uh, turn the lights off and uh, then turn green lights on because the accuracy picks up quite a lot. Quite absurd. But that's so what you I've have a to... green lighting room. Green light. Green light in the room. Just for PSVR. It's amazing. Mm. It becomes almost one to one. It's amazing when you do it, but heavens to Betsy. <laughs> oh. So you're excited for PSPR too, then? You're I am indeed. Go. I'm looking yeah. forward to. It. I use a cable with my Meta Quest when I'm Quest Two when I'm hooking up to the PC because my Wi-Fi isn't nearly as strong as I like it to be. Uh, so I've just, I mean, it does work, but there's always a risk. And it glitches out and it's oh, so annoying. So I ended up just cabling up to the PC. It's perfectly fine. I know people don't like it, but I, I played the Mask Maker with uh, PSVR, uh, not PS, the PC VR, uh, Steam VR, and with the cable. And it was fantastic. I had a great time. Similar with um, Half Life Alex. It was great. I didn't have a problem at all. So, um, well, yes, we'll be looking forward to Squinkle when it arrives on those platforms, whatever they may be. But. Uh, ben, it's been wonderful having you on the show. Um, been a really good guest, and more welcome to come back to talk about what next is cooking in your brain. Uh, probably more psychedelia. It's fine. Be more psychedelic. The world is a better place for it. But uh, in the meantime, thank you very, very much.
It's been a pleasure. Thank you. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Cane and Rinse for early, extended and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube and at our website, caneandrinse.com. <laughs>